Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, my name is Jess Phillips, and this is yours sincerely. I've always been a prolific letter writer, both the good and bad kind, and know the power of putting words on paper. So in this podcast, I want to give my guests a chance to celebrate three people that mean the world to them. Someone they love, someone who's no longer around, and someone who doesn't realise how significant a role they've played in their lives. And when we've heard more about each person, they'll reveal how they would sign off each letter. Lorraine Kelly, CBE, is a television presenter and journalist. She has presented television shows for ITV, including Good Morning Britain, GMTV, This Morning, Daybreak and the Sun Military Awards. She currently hosts Lorraine, a daily breakfast programme on ITV and is also the patron of the Worldwide Cancer Research and Help for Heroes. Today, I am so excited to talk to her about the letters she would send to three people who mean the world to her. So, hello, Lorraine. How are you? I'm really good. Really good. This is great to talk to you about other stuff. <laughs> I know normally we're talking about violence against women and girls and politicians being attacked. I cannot tell you, Lorraine, what an honour it is to be talking to you. No, honestly, you're like the nation's auntie, Lorraine. <laughs> I mean, you just provide a sprinkling of joy to all proceedings. And my sons, this is intergenerational, my sons who are 13 and 17, they literally think that you are the queen. Like oh, queen with that's a so Queen, Lorraine. They're like, oh my gosh. I think it's because of all the last leg stuff. Oh, yes. Yes, I do like to be able to come out and show a bit of a naughty side. Yeah. Really quite good. And of course, all these young comedians just want me to say F and C and things like that, <laughs> which I do anyway, but just not on the telly. But, you know, no one's expecting that from you at 9am, I don't think. I think even I, I'm quite potty mouthed, but I can, I can live without it at 9am. But yeah, they absolutely like, they're like, oh my gosh, Lorraine is the queen of the world. So there you go. There's a a crushing endorsement to start with. So um, this podcast is all about letter writing and appreciation for people. So are you much of a letter writer? Very much so. Um, Obviously not as much now, but certainly it was something that I grew up doing. My mum really drummed it into me that you always wrote a thank you letter and it had to be done almost immediately. You couldn't wait for any any length of time. And then because we didn't have like the internet or, you know, emails or anything like that, when I moved or or my friends were on holiday, we always wrote to one another. And my best friend, when she she went away to work in Germany for a little while and we wrote letters all the time. And funnily enough, we just came across them quite recently and we were 
peeing ourselves laughing at how how daft we were and how silly we were and how we thought we knew everything and we knew absolutely nothing. But our love letters, there's something really special about that. I think so definitely. It means a lot more, doesn't it, in a letter? Yeah, and when you find it years later, even if it's just something really incidental, like I found letters from my friends from when I was much younger, and I, I can't remember half of the things that we were writing. I'm sure some of it was total fantasy. Uh, <laughs> we were making up to make our lives sound considerably more dramatic than they were. <laughs> but it's just so they capture a time much, much better than just... Even when you write an email to somebody you love who lives far away it's just it you don't I think you know put the same sort of heart and soul into it in the same way I don't think so I just I just don't and there's there's things that you can glean from a letter as well that you can't from an email I think an email is quite cold you know, even even if the sentiments are warm you know it's a wee bit like getting an email Christmas card as opposed to a Christmas card I mean I literally think that should be banned and I know the environment I know I know I know, I know all these things, but I just love getting cards, especially now. You cannot decorate your house with emails. Also, I've got to say there is a dint of ex-prime ministers. I'll name him, it's Tony Blair. And uh, he will always send a Christmas card with, it's always like a picture, like a portrait of him and his family. And obviously we put up all of our Christmas cards. So my house is always decorated with Tony Blair and like (laughs) Cherie and the new grandchild. (laughs) So it always looks quite jarring though, like amongst the like doves of peace and uh, and baubles and robins. And then it's just Tony Blair smiling. Smiling at you from the mantelpiece. <laughs> so I much prefer a card. I don't mind it when people send invitations now. That's fine. But Christmas cards. Yeah, politicians really love to put their faces on Christmas cards. That's quite common. What is that all about? I know I couldn't do that. Or it'd have to be a comedy one. Or my dog or something. Yeah, the Deputy Speaker of the House of Commons, Nigel, he will always do like a comedy one. But still, it looks weird on your mantelpiece. But yeah, like just pictures of you in front of like a hearth or... Yeah, it's rubbish. It's not good for displaying. But maybe that's because their constituents put it up and then it reminds them, vote for this man. That's why you say. Oh, that, that, yes. That's, I get that. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah, that does make sense. But I still don't do it. I don't need my face to remind them to vote for me. So do you have any, like, treasured letters you have kept forever, like anything, like, really specific? Yeah, but my gran used to write to me all the time. My, my mother's mother, she's no longer with us, died um, the same day that the first Gulf War was declared. <laughs> so I always, I always remember when, the, when, the, when that happened, you know, in, in 1991, because that was my granddad. And she was a force of nature um, and very much instilled in all of our children and then our grandchildren a love of literature and a love of you know although money was really really tight you know really tight she really really made us read write I mean my mum taught me to read and write before I went to primary school which was massive because and the house was always full of books you know we didn't we didn't have money as such but we always had really good grub that was the that was the thing she always made sure we had good foods homemade and also things to read that was the most important thing I think that the idea of, you know, the respectable working class and the sort of modern day narrative about like people who don't have a lot, we totally missed the part where working class people were really well read and learned. And like, you know, my dad was 
born in a bombed out council house and you know he could cite Chaucer to you he went to the local comp and you know he knows there's no I mean he could be making it up because I couldn't tell him if he wasn't but you know he knows every line of Shakespeare and that's fantastic but that thing of being well read was huge and my dad because we were brought up in, in Glasgow and my dad was brought up in the Gorbals and he should have gone to university, but back then, I mean, thank goodness the university is still free in Scotland and should be anyway. Um, but back then he just never had the chance to do that. So he was kind of self-educated and a lot of people were, you know, you would get people working in the government shipyards that were like your dad. You yeah, know, absolutely. Love Shakespeare and they liked, they liked listening to opera because actually that's what that was supposed to be for anyway. It was supposed to be for us. It wasn't really for the elite. It was supposed to be for you know, real people. <laughs> ordinary people. Yeah, ordinary people. I, I think that that is really, like, my dad's boiler broke the other day and a boiler man came round and the boiler man was, like, talking to him about, like, the history of politics. And, uh, and my dad was just like, you just wouldn't necessarily have expected it from this fellow. He knew absolutely bloody everything. But why shouldn't you expect it? So, yeah, I think that that is, it's a lovely capturing especially of a certain time where reading definitely really really and writing and writing the thank you card thing I mean literally within seconds of having opened a gift you had to write the thank you card absolutely or you were in a lot of trouble it was just it wasn't even that you kind of went oh my goodness I have to do it it was so drilled in you you know just like brushing your teeth or washing your hair you just did it (laughs) or else my children are rubbish at this. They only do it to like out of town aunties, not real aunties, you know, the friends of your parents or your friends of your grandparents. So they do it to out of town aunties. But my son Harry recently like got 20 quid in the post from Auntie Liz in Sheffield. And I demanded that he send her a card and to say thank you. And he was like, I'll oh, just text her. I was like, no, I want you to send her a card. So he sent her a card and didn't put a stamp on it. So Liz then sent us a card back saying, post office sent me a thing saying, Please come to the <laughs> So we've since sent her a, a book of stamps. <laughs> slight oversight on our part. Because he probably never posted a letter before, actually. And I didn't even think about that. I didn't even think, oh, he probably doesn't realise you have to... I didn't explain to him that he had to put a stamp on it, but there we go. <laughs> um, do you have any letters from anybody who is, like, really noteworthy? So on this podcast, we've had somebody who had a letter from the Queen of Denmark. Somebody who had had a slightly cross letter from Nelson Mandela. We've had Bill Clinton. Christopher Biggins was a highlight. Somebody had a letter from Christopher Biggins. Oh, of course. Absolutely. Do you have like a letter from like the Queen or you must I, have a Sadly, no. Uh, Rosie, though, my daughter got a letter from the aforementioned Tony Blair. My daughter, when she was, when she was 11. No, actually, she wasn't 11. She must be. Let me look because it's over here. So. <laughs> no, it really is. It's on the wall. Uh, oh, I love that you've kept Tony Blair's letter on the wall. I'll tell you. Oh, I'm bringing it over to you now. I mean, obviously, that's <laughs> very good in the podcast because you can't see. Anyway, April 2005. So Rosie wrote to him and said she was very upset about all the dog poo in the streets in Tapeport in Scotland. And Tony Blair looked back and said, thank you for your lovely letter and the hugs. Because at the end she said, thank you, Tony. And she called him, you know, Mr. Tony Blair. And he said, well, I don't think what you said is ridiculous. It really is up to local councils to provide bins where dog owners like you who care about the environment can Put their dog nest. So Tony Blair um, actually wrote to Rosie. So that's probably the most important letter that we've got. And it wasn't to me. It was to my. It was to my tiny girl who was probably nine. I 
cannot believe that you have got a letter from Tony Blair about dog poo. As a member of Parliament, this is a very big issue. Named it in the toilet. <laughs> that is absolutely... Also, do you think that if you... I'm going to test this now. I'm going to get an 11-year-old child to write to Boris Johnson about dog poo and see if we get a response. Don't hold your <laughs> This is a perfect test. It's a perfect test. And I love the fact that she wrote it and then got a report. I mean, it's just brilliant. It's just hilarious. That is absolutely brilliant. <laughs> I love that she is, well, I often say this, like when my constituents are like complaining to me about something, they're like, well, I want this raised with the Prime Minister. And I think one day I'm going to call their bluff and I'm going to stand up at Prime Minister's questions and say, Susan from Church Road really wants Alan to move that skip. Yes, because <laughs> it's very important and it's hugely important. Oh, my goodness. That's the most exciting letter that we have as a family. That is pretty exciting. I, I imagine Tony Blair will be thrilled. I, I will text him and say it's a treasured <laughs> possession. Right then, so on to the business of the letters that I have asked you to think about. So the first letter is uh, a letter you would send to somebody who means the world to you. So who would that person be? Do you know, I think that would have to be my daughter. I think it definitely... I mean, she's already now the star of this podcast. Indeed, indeed. Um, But she is, she's 27 now, which is ridiculous because like two minutes ago, she was a wee tiny fat baby. Um, And she's a good kid, Jess. She's a good kid. I've been, we've been very lucky because everybody said, oh, wait till they're two and you'll get the terrible twos and it never happened. And then, oh, wait till they go to school and it's all, you know, terrible and she'll be coming home and, you know, saying that she's being bullied or whatever. And we didn't get any of that. We didn't get any sort of teenage angst. I mean, don't get me wrong, she, she wasn't a complete angel. I mean, she was, you know, she did do naughty things. And and I'm sure naughty things happened that I still don't know anything about because I'm her mum and not her pal. But she's a really, really good kid. And she's got, when she left university, she studied journalism at uni in Edinburgh. And then she went to Singapore and lived in Singapore until last year. And I really missed her and actually wrote letters to her. Although we talked all the time and it was brilliant to be able to talk, you know, on, on WhatsApp or whatever or, or Skype or whatever. It was great, but there's just something and, you know, and, and I always like her to send me a card from wherever she goes. And being based in Singapore, she was like going to lots and lots. It was brilliant, going to loads of different countries, interesting countries and experiencing different cultures and different food and all of that. Um, but yeah, again, it was, uh, you know, the, the letter thing. When I send her a card or when I, I write her a letter, that's when, because we're very Scottish and we don't say I love you all that much, because you know, it's like, oh, God, you know. I mean, the only time my dad would ever say I love you is when he's absolutely pissed. That's the only time my husband's ever told me. I know, it's a a funny thing, isn't it? But yeah, she would be the person that I would write the letter to just to say thank you for actually, because, you know, I don't know what I would do without her. And she has really, in so many ways, made my life an awful lot better. My mum used to say, because when my kids were growing up, I'd be like, oh God, when's it going to get easier or what's the best age? And my mum would always say, I like you best as adults. I like you best as adults, but at every stage I liked you best, but it's incredibly nice to have, because you never call them adults, they're always your children, aren't they? Never say, this is my adult. (laughs) That would be funny if we did that at 18. This is my adult, Harry. But she said, I really, really enjoyed having adult children. She, so, you know, having a 27-year-old daughter is very different to having a seven-year-old daughter. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. But what I really liked about her was the, her curiosity, and she's still curious about things, which I think is the most 
of all the things that you can be, being kind is very important, but being curious, because if you're not curious and you're not interested, then you're not interesting and you won't find things out and you won't, you just wouldn't have this interest in a life, I guess. But, but she is, she's she's great. I do remember though, when, when I was pregnant, I, wor- I was silly. I worked up until I was um, probably, I only had about 10 days before she was born. And because I'm a freelance and you just, you know, it's like you work and she was born in the June and I was supposed to go back in September. But I got a call to say, well, thanks very much, uh, but we've got Anthea Turner. <laughs> That so, is a slap in the face, isn't it? Thanks very much. Uh, good luck with the rest of your life. And it's been a blast. So I, I mean, just, you've come I, out the victor in that one, Lorraine. Well, definitely. <laughs> well, eventually I did because a couple of months later, they wanted me to do a wee mum and baby slot because they've got some sponsorship for it. And the sponsors really wanted me to do it because I'd just been a mum. And, you know, I went back for one day a week for about four weeks and it was such a success that I ended up getting my own show in the January. So I, I, I mean, don't get me wrong, the time that I was off was actually really, really tense because, you know, I didn't have any work and I just had a, a little one. And, you know, Steve had just moved down to London with me. He's a freelance cameraman and, he, you know, he was building up his business, but it was quite a quite a tough time. But we got through it and in the end, it just shows you, I always, it, it taught me a big lesson, which was don't rely and don't take what you're doing for granted because I'm so lucky to do what I do and I love it. But don't take it for granted because it can all disappear virtually overnight and always have another string to your bow (laughs) and also though it's just it's what's most important is absolutely a family and I know people say that and I know it's a cliche but it's absolutely true it really really is and and sometimes things happen for a reason and then things change and it's you know it's great the only thing is it just has that 27 years has just gone by in a in a flash Honestly, I do feel as if two minutes ago she was a wee fat baby and then she was writing letters to Tony Blair and now she's 27. (laughs) So those are the three life uh, goals that everybody should live by. Um, That's like, you know, that's in the baby book. At 11, you have to write to Tony Blair. He may be long dead by the time you're 11. We're not really pissed off, Lorraine, that they sacked you while you were pregnant. Um, not really, not really, to be honest. I mean, I was, it wasn't such a thing back then, I suppose, almost 30 years ago. No, it was very, very unusual for women on TV to be visibly pregnant. You know, it was the early 90s, and really the trailblazer, I guess, and that was Anne Diamond. Yes, she was always pregnant in my memory. <laughs> Sometimes, because she had five boys, which is amazing. Yeah. And, and she, she... Constantly in those big dresses that were the white yeah, collar. with the wee collar, like Princess Diana with the wee pussy ball. Yes, she did. But I was just like an Easter egg. I mean, I really, I was absolutely enormous. I was huge. and um, But I wasn't, I was actually really, really hurt because it did come out of the blue. I didn't expect it. Um, but... It's that thing of, you know, that terrible thing that we've got, and I think it's a working class thing as well, which drives me mad, is, oh, well, they must have found me out. Do you know what I mean? It's like, oh, well, I've had a good run. <laughs> you, you were always waiting. But, you know, I was waiting for that hand in the shoulder to say, actually, we found you out now, you have to move along. But it just, it worked out fine. And you know what? I would have done something. I'd have been fine. I'd have done something else. It would have been all right. But I, I would quite like to go back and tell that sort of, like, manic woman who was like you know I don't know the state of me I, I wore this tartan dressing gown I had toast in my hair sick down my front I was a mess and then you see these celebs bouncing but what is that all about when they bounce back I was watching that is it what's it called Selling Sunset and this mad oh my god my friends are obsessed with it literally obsessed Christine had a baby right and two weeks later 
two weeks later, she's got, did you just nothing off? I mean, it's ridiculous. She must have had a caesarean and a tummy tuck at the same time. She, she must have done. Because one thing I'll say for the royals, I really like the way both Kate and Megan, when they came out, they look, still looked like they were a, a bit pregnant because that's what you look like when you've just had a baby. They did they looked beautiful, but they looked more normal than that. I mean, mind you, I just looked crazy, but that's just daft and it's not... I mean, different. yeah, they've got makeup people around. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I, don't, I don't think that any of us could live up to Meghan Markle or Kate Middleton standards. I mean, nowadays, you would absolutely, they'd be banged to rights getting rid of you under those circumstances. Absolutely. No, definitely. I and mean, we are getting better. You know, I do, I, I try to always try and find some sort of positive somewhere. And I do think we are getting better. I think this generation have taught us so much that the generation of my daughters and the next ones that, the, you know, the next young people that are coming up, I've got so much more to, to tell us. I think we have to tell them sometimes because you kind of, you know, I'm learning all the time, every day, God, every day is a school day, even if it's just something silly, but I'm learning all the time and, and I'm learning from young people and I think that is the only way, and you do that, and I think that's the only way, keeping an open mind and keeping yourself young at the same time, because you have to, you have to be open to things. As soon as you close down, that's it, That that that's it, you'll never get any change going on and good night Vienna, you have to just keep an open mind. I think that what you said about where it's a cliche, but what, you know, it, all that matters is your family, really. In, and it doesn't matter what happens, really. I remember once, like, I don't know, something bad had happened frequently, that happens. And I just was sat on the sofa with my husband and both my children on the same sofa. And I thought, it's all right, because actually everything that matters fits into this tiny space. <laughs> you know, so if we had to live in a tiny house... And we, it, it all, because my job, you know, similarly, you know, at any moment it can be taken away and we do love an election, but you know, the, you just think, well, oh, well, it's okay because these people sitting in this space, we'll just live in a smaller space. <laughs> uh, we'll be together. Yeah. It's all, it's, it's all right. The thing about somebody like you is you take that and, it, and you extend that because you want to make unlike a lot of politicians, you actually genuinely want to make things better for everybody. You know, you want everybody to have those opportunities. And I feel like that too. And I think it's absolutely vital that we do that. Otherwise, you know, I mean, I get, I get sometimes really flummoxed by people. Like, you know, when you watch things like Billions on the telly or you watch things like that and you think, but you've got tons of money. Why are you, why are you doing this? Why are you not happy? What's going on? Also, what are you doing with it all? Like at the point that you're like Elon Musk or like the Amazon dude, like what? I'm, I just don't, like I only, you know, I can't imagine what they're doing with all that money. And it's like the whole inheritance debate that goes, that's currently going on because of social care. It's just sort of like, you know, you, you're going to end up with like, you know, half a million pounds that you didn't do any work for because somebody died. Like that should be considered a bonus in anybody. Like if somebody took a bit of that, I mean, exactly like, it doesn't seem like, I just don't, I, I, I can't understand. And I just believe that everybody's better off if everybody else is better off. I just think my being better off relies on other people having enough. No, of course. I mean, I always remember after George Michael died and we found out that quietly he was helping people get IVF treatment. He was giving thousands and thousands and thousands of pounds to wee kids so they could get cancer treatment. And he was quietly sitting in his great big mansion essentially writing checks and I just think God bless you I know I mean what a legend oh I can't believe that he's not here and that year was hideous wasn't it because David Bowie went and then he 
And then you go to make on you oh, come on. I know, it was getting ridiculous. So, Rosie, what's she up to now? What does she do with her life? She was in Singapore, she came back, she works for Hello Magazine, which is lovely, because Hello Magazine is lovely. It's not like a horrid magazine that writes terrible things and has, you know, shaming women and, you know, oh, look, she's fat, oh, look, she's too thin, oh, my God, look at her, look at her hair, oh, my God. You know, it's actually a really sweet magazine. And then she does a podcast with me, um, and she does a lot of freelance writing as as well. So she's, yeah, she's doing great. She's really happy. The, the best thing is that she's met a really nice man. Um, in fact, they've known each other for years. Uh, she was 12 and he was 13 at school up in Dundee and he's always 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 loved her and always wanted to go out with her and then they met up last year it's so adorable they met up last year and they just clicked and they're dead happy and they've got a wee sausage dog so I think that probably means it's quite serious if you've got a dog together you know that's I think that's even more serious than having a baby together to be oh, I mean to be honest me and my husband would fight more over a dog I think uh, yep so she's fine she's happy that's the main thing she's happy so that's all you want that is that is definitely all you want and do, and do you think that she feels the same way about you i'm sure she does oh so jess i don't you never know do you i mean i think i'm annoying i think she thinks yeah, but all moms are annoying exactly i think that's kind of my job is to be annoying i mean i am like i said to you i am her mum and not her pal and i would love to think that she tells me everything of course she doesn't i never told my mum everything of course not but yeah we've got a good she's got a really really good relationship with her dad as well our dad's more like for practical things and you know she talks to me a bit Everything really is, but but not everything. If you know what I mean, I say everything. <laughs> she really, she really doesn't. I mean, I say, oh, how are you and James? Fine, you know. <laughs> I'm sure she tells her girlfriends all the all the details. Yeah, I um I realised after my mum had died that um I'd probably never really spoken to my dad. <laughs> so you know, you'd like ring up and be like, oh, does your dad do that thing? Oh, I'll just get you another. Yeah. <laughs> I thought about, well, hi, Dan, I'm ready to have a wee chat with him. I'll just get your mum and yeah, I wait exactly. to get off the phone. And so I remember the, the first time being like, hi, Dad, like, how's your day been? <laughs> like, just having a chat with my dad for probably the first time in my life. And, yeah, it's uh, definitely, you know, it massively uh, improves your relationship with your dad. Um, but dads are oh, that sort of just passed the phone over. Maybe modern dads aren't so much like that anymore, but uh, my dad certainly was. Yeah. yeah. Um, so how would you sign off the letter to Rosie? Um, I don't know. I think I would just tell her that I'm very proud of her. Very proud of her because, you know, she's grown into... A remarkable young woman and that I'm so happy that she's found somebody that loves her and will always look after her and that's it really yeah just just and thank you for just being a funny bright intelligent cheeky annoying lovely girl <laughs> oh she sounds excellent she's good fun she has good fun she's that's the main thing <laughs> honestly in all people that I want is somebody who is funny and a laugh So the second letter is for somebody who is no longer here or no longer with us. It can be somebody who's died or just somebody you'd no longer speak to or have any contact with. I think that would have to be my gran, my granny Mac, my mum's mother, who the one that died in the outbreak of the Gulf War in 1991. Interestingly, though, going right, right back, and I only found this out later, much later, actually, after she died, my mum and dad were really, really young when they got together. And we're not 
party. And they were a mixed marriage, as it's called in Glasgow, because my mum... Oh, Celtics and Rangers. Yes, oh. my mum was Catholic, dad was a Protestant, although now they're not really anything and neither are we. But when my dad and my mum had to tell the parents that my mum was expecting and she's only like 17. My granny Mac called my dad in and here's my wee dad. I, I just always picture the scene. He's got like, you know, the hair like Elvis Presley <laughs> and he's got wee pointy shoes and they're so cheap they're kind of turning up at the end, you know, like something from Aladdin. And, he's, and he faced down my gran, who was a formidable woman, formidable woman. He faced her down, he said, absolutely no, because my gran wanted me to get adopted. And he said, no, there's no way that she's, I'm marrying your daughter and we're bringing up our child. And it was me, obviously. We're bringing up our child. And that's the end of it. And for, for a young man of that age to, first of all, accept his responsibilities. I mean, I'm not sure that, you know, it's always right. In fact, I don't think it is always right. But but back then, you had to get married. It was it was it's so terrible. This whole shame thing. Thank God that has gone. Thank God that has gone. By and large, there are still certain communities where, where that doesn't happen. But you know, but, uh, he he just said to my gran, absolutely not, because she had this idea because she had a daughter down in down south in England that they I was going to go. My mum was going to go down there, and then they would find somebody to adopt me. And it was my dad. My dad said no. Absolutely not, and he and he faced up to her, which, like I say, if you'd known her, she was she was huge, and she had long, long black hair, and she used to put it in two plates and then two plaits, you know, um, and then put it on top of her head like a Russian, and then put a big comb in her hair, and she used to wear these mad fake fur coats and wander around Glasgow, and, and she thought she was, she used to say she she told the most outrageous lies, and she used to say she was descended from the Russians. Sometimes she would be descended from the Tsars of Russia. Sometimes she would be from Maltese royalty. And sometimes just like, you know, she would be like, she'd had a fling, she said, once with Winston Churchill. <laughs> oh, my God. She's literally like the forebear of that character from um, Gavin and Stacey, where she just like is, is like had had slept with all the rock stars. and like, Yeah, Nessa. She's Nessa. Nessa. <laughs> she is exactly like she Nessa. She even looked like her. She even looked like, imagine Nessa with black, black hair piled on top of her head with all these pigtails. That was my, that was my grand. She was amazing. But for all that she was a monster, she was a monster. She also did really instill in all of her, all of her children, because she had many. Uh, she had, I think she had about eight that lived, but she had more than that, you know, because back then, unfortunately, a lot of kids did not make it. Um, a love of reading and a love of literature and a love of learning. So that was really good. And um, so I've still got some books of hers and you were talking about letters. Sometimes when I'm going through some of her books, I'll find like, a little card from her or a little letter's been in there or she'll make notes on the margins and she'll do do things like that. But, oh, she told the most appalling lies. Can I just say, <laughs> she sounds like an absolute legend. Oh, she was great. She was she was just, um, she was very, very strange. Her house, I've never seen anything like it. It was a tiny little flat and it had things like ostrich feathers in it and orange velvet. And it, she, Honestly, it was just... <laughs> you should write a fiction book based on her because her life was a fiction. Oh, anybody would ever believe what, 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 what she said. She was, um, she used to say that she was a cordon bleu chef and she really wasn't. And she got all these jobs. <laughs> she used to work in these mad pubs in Glasgow and she'd say, this is terrible. I am a cordon bleu chef, you know. <laughs> she was making like egg and chips. <laughs> to be honest, that is the greatest meal on earth. However, it is not cordon bleu. When I was cooking for Winston Churchill, when I was, <laughs> she did different in her life. Did anybody challenge her? Did you say, like, stop lying about 
Oh, it was, it, it was, it was, there was no point because you'd get an even more ridiculous story, you know. And then the great thing was Christopher Gate, who she told the lies to. <laughs> oh, but it was, it was like a cabaret, going to her house was like a cabaret. It was just hilarious, absolutely hilarious. A force of me. So you must have loads of aunts and uncles. Yeah, yeah. I mean, not so many now. Most of them, sadly, are, are no longer with it, but loads of cousins, loads and loads of cousins. Um, all over the place, you know, Australia, you know what it's like in, in Scotland, the kind of diaspora, because we were nearly 10 pound palms. Do you remember they had that thing where you paid 10 quid and then you went on the, on, you went on the boat because back then there was flights for, actually, way out of everybody's league and you went on the boat for about a month and we were, we signed up for it and everything when I was, I think I was probably about four or five before my brother was born and then my mum just couldn't go through with it just couldn't have gone through with the whole thing but they were definitely going to, they were definitely going to do that it's so interesting all of that but my gran went to my, my gran did go to Australia um, and God knows what she told the people on that boat oh my gosh <laughs> that is the good thing about going to it I used to think when I was a teenager I used to go travelling and things she think I can just be anyone I can just stay and, and now now the internet has ruined this oh it has. I mean, totally ruined <laughs> the ability to pretend to be a different culture. I always thought I should do that show though, Jess. You know that show, Who Do You Think You Are? You should totally do it. Just to see if any of it was true. <laughs> can you imagine if she really was descended from the Romanovs and <laughs> she really was Russian? Oh my God, I can't believe Have they never asked you to do it? You should totally do it for Granny Mac. I must do I must try. I don't know how far back we could get though because we, most um, my relatives are in Ireland and I think there was a huge big fire in the early 1900s and most of the records destroyed and, and I think most of if you go back you know because a lot of them came to to Scotland and I don't think we can get back that far but it'd be fascinating wouldn't it yeah yeah same with my family we've tried because my dad's dad died yeah his dad died before he was born in like the 40s and so we try to find out stuff about him and it's just like the records just aren't there yeah it's impossible isn't it it's a big big wall you come against a big big wall which is Oh my God, I, I really want to hear that you are Anastasia. It's essentially the end of this story is that you are Anastasia's granddaughter. And you are the princess of Russia. <laughs> <laughs> Not something I particularly want to be at the moment, if I'm honest. No, Imagine no, rocking up to Putin and being like, actually, you this think- is my gaff. <laughs> Not sure he'd take it that well. My God, she sounds absolutely amazing. What was her first name? Margaret. Margaret. She got called, well, dependent. She got called Peggy. She called Maggie. Uh, she got called lots and lots of different things, depending upon how she woke up that particular morning. <laughs> My granny was called Marguerite and we called her Peggy. Which I, I always think Marguerite is an incredibly posh sounding name, which is not what she was. But we always called her Peggy, Grandma Peggy. Uh, and I had a granddad, Mac, in fact. My gran- my grandfather was called Mackay, so he was my granddad, Mac. So, uh, and, and when did she die, Granny Mac? 1991. 1991. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, did, would, do you think that she had any involvement in the outbreak of the Iraq war? Oh, well, I'm sure. Well, even if she didn't, she would have said she did. Let's pretend that in her... Final moments, she was on the phone to George Bush Sr. And she was like... Telling him, I'm descended from the Russians, you have to go in. You have to. Yeah, that's it. This is the time. I would not be surprised. (laughs) Well, she sounds amazing. So how would you sign off the letter to Granny Mac? 
Well, I think I would say, you know, despite the fact that you, you did want me to have me adopted, <laughs> thank goodness that didn't happen. I, I just wish you were here to see your granddaughter Rosie and to see her turn into a beautiful young woman because they never got the chance to to meet and, and thank her for a love of reading and for being so blinking entertaining. <laughs> Honestly, you've got to write a book about Granny Mac. She sounds... I love those people. Like old women don't have good hair the way that they used to. It's because now the generation of grannies, so my husband's mother, she looks like she has always looked, even though she has a 17-year-old. Whereas to me, a granny has to have a hair done all the time and go and have it set and wears a tabard permanently. And one of them wheelie things for your shopping. Yes. Yeah, yeah you've got to have that. Although that's quite trendy, apparently, now. I, I think they agree. Hipsters, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> They've all got them. But grannies used to look like grannies and, and they often had outlandish hair. And that, I think, needs to come back. Yes, blue. Do you remember blue rinses? Blue. Posh ladies would... Posh ladies in Glasgow, they'd talk like that. They would have, they would have blue hair or, or, or a sort of purple tinge in it. And, and now, if somebody went and had their hair done every week, we would consider that to be like quite privileged, like to go and have your hair done at blow dry. Whereas my nan... She went down the Poolware shopping centre and had her hair set every single week without fail. Absolutely. It was a thing. That's what you did. And it was a social thing as well. You know, all the, all the women would go and talk to one another and get their nails done and stuff like that. And these brilliant new salons. Yeah. <laughs> that are all often in my constituency are still there. Just no one in them. I'm like, that. how are they surviving these little hairdressing salons? We'll be back for Lorraine's final letter after a short break. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. So your final letter is to somebody who doesn't know that what a big effect they've had on your life. So who would that be? Gosh, this is hard. I was thinking about this because I think it has to be a teacher. Um, and my primary school teacher, Miss Spears, was 
absolutely fantastic. I mean, to us, because we didn't know, and um, she was felt old, but she was probably 22. <laughs> you know, she, was, she was, but she was the first one. I always remember we came back from, you know, from the summer holiday and you come back to, to school and she was all tanned and gorgeous and she'd, she'd earrings and she came in with this record, so it was record players back then, you know, because um, it's the 60s, for goodness sake. And she'd been to Greece and she taught us all a Greek dance and it was like beyond exotic. She just opened up another world for us and and, and it was like a, a window into this like, you know, I was like, wow, she's been to Greece. This is astonishing. So I was like going to the moon. You know, it really was. I mean, people just didn't, we just didn't, you know, we went to Blackpool was our big thing, you know, because a lot of people would go, we'd go to Blackpool, you know, that's the thing. And, or you'd go to the Ayrshire Coast or something. It was great, brilliant family holidays, absolutely fantastic. But going abroad, that was just like, wow. And she also was a really kind woman. You know, there's a lot of kids in her class that really weren't well off and she would never, some of the teachers would be horrible and like shame them. You know, if a wee kid came and their, their, their clothes went pretty nice she would take them away and somehow or other I don't know whether she did it herself whether she brought things in but she'd take them outside and they'd come back in and they would be sparkling clean and they would have clothes on nice clothes obviously had clothes on but, I mean they would have nice new nice new clothes or you know sometimes you know if a little boy maybe or a little girl wet themselves in the class which happens all the time especially especially if they're you know going through terrible times that we didn't know anything about she wouldn't even bother she just she just wouldn't even draw attention to it she'd just fix it she would just fix it. And I, and I love that because we had another teacher who I always remember Derek Sheridan and she she put Derek because um, he was quite naughty and they put him in a cage, like a, like a pretend cage, like a kiddie one because they were doing a school play, I think about Hansel and Gretel and they put poor Derek in, a, in this thing because he was being naughty and she said, no, absolutely not, that's not to happen. And I just always remember being really kind and really lovely and a huge influence on me because I just copied her because she was my idol. So I thought, if Miss Spears does that, if Miss Spears wears her hair like that, I wouldn't hear like that, you know. <laughs> Miss Fierce wears that blue top. I want a blue top. I never got one, of course, but I wanted I wanted just to be her. She was just so, so kind and so and so lovely. Um and yeah, she had a massive effect on me. I had a bit of bullying at school because weirdly, although we weren't from a very very good background, if you like, you know, I mean it was fine, you know, we were fine. But my mum would send me to school immaculate absolutely immaculate and she used to put my hair in old tights at night wrap them in old tights so that I had ringlets and then she'd put ribbons in my hair I might honestly Jess I should have just had a sign saying beat me up <laughs> I am a spoiled princess you are you know feeling tighter to kick me in the ass because do you know what I mean it was just crazy but it was this standard thing that my mum's house was a wee palace it was a wee palace it really was and um, you know they might have like when I was really tiny, it might have been an outside toilet, but by God, it was clean. You know, everything was so clean, so lovely. My nan would be like, people, the neighbours are talking about the drains. You better go and clean them to my granddad. I'm like that. No one can see your drains, man. It's just like everything had to totally sparkle. Absolutely. And I do remember when our house was condemned because a lot of bits of Glasgow were, were condemned and then bulldozed. And somebody came round to our house and if they thought you kept a clean house, which my mum obviously did, you get sent to Scobride, which was like the new town, a little bit like Milton Keynes. And if you were considered not to have a clean house, you got put to another, a different scheme that wasn't as nice. It was terrible. That is <laughs> I mean, I'm telling you this and I can't believe that that actually happened. But people just accepted it then. It was like, oh, the guy's coming round to, the, the, this fella came round to a clipboard and poked his nose in my mum's cupboards and said, oh, I right, okay, you're fine, you've got your Scobride. I mean, that is literally like... It's means eugenics. Yeah, yeah, it's literally it like we're going to create a sink estate 
of uh, that's just dreadful. It was terrible. But we put, I don't, Christ knows how we put up with it. I mean, that's one thing that I think is great that nobody would stand up for that. Nobody, nobody would no. stand up. No, I mean, it, it happens through a back door now. It happens just because the system fails. Uh, nobody would, yeah, and that's the trouble sometimes when it's not overt. You can't, you can't tackle it then. You can't say it because you sound like you're mad. <laughs> and people will be like, oh, people like you are always moaning. But, yeah, that is, that is unbelievable. Do you, do you go, do you, do you go to, back to Glasgow a lot? Yeah, I do. I mean, I tend to go back to Dundee because um, Dundee's where my husband's from and that's where our football team are, Dundee United. So, I, I mean, obviously nobody's been going anywhere for ages, but I'd obviously go back to see my mum and dad. In fact, my mum is coming, my mum's coming down, um, which is great. I mean, she's 80 years old and you want to see her. It's ridiculous. She looks fantastic. Full of beans. Wanting to do everything. She's just somebody that wants to do absolutely everything right now. She's learning German now. She said she wants to learn German. So she's going to German classes and she goes to her book club and she goes to her fitness club and she does all these things. She's, it's great. It's really good. Also, that is um, a massive benefit to, to you. Um, that my, I was saying to my husband recently, because his mum uh, and dad, they were quite young when they had him and um, they're still just really, really active in every single way. And I'm just like, oh, just such a benefit to me that like they can help me still more than I need to help them uh, in lots of cases. And that is just like, you know, thank, thank goodness. No, definitely. And you've got the crazy schedule and, you know, you, you need, you need support round about you. Well, we all do. We all do. And it was great when Rosie was tiny. My mum was, I mean, my mum was such a young granny and all this full of beans and all of that, which is just... Yeah, it makes a difference. It, really it definitely, does. definitely makes a massive difference. I absolutely love Glasgow, though. It is, I'm going to say, my apart from Birmingham, my favourite UK city. My brother lived there for about 15 years. He was taught at the university. My other brother went to live there, uh, where he almost certainly followed in the footsteps of Granny Mac and just told lots of lies and <laughs> was very naughty and took advantage of the slightly salubrious end of uh, Glasgow. Good city for that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And shenanigans and goings on. It's such a beautiful city. It's so beautiful. And after the city of culture, which was now, what, 20 years ago, if not longer, it really massively improved the place. Like, you know, it really felt like, it did. And there's a sense of pride there as well. I mean, I, I love Dundee too, because I've been living in Dundee or I was living in Dundee for a long, long time. But Glasgow is, I think, where my heart is. I really, you know, I just think everybody speaks like me and everybody gets me. Yeah. <laughs> you don't, do. yeah, you can start in the middle of a conversation rather than at the beginning. That is always like, it's not tiring when you're with your own people. I know, it's just, it's, 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 it's great. And I have missed that to a lot there, you know, because it's easy. Yeah, it is. And Miss Spears, if I would be so bold, Lorraine, to say that Miss Spears being your inspiration obviously has stayed with you because, like, the idea of kindness mattering more than anything else, I think that if anyone were to describe you, that is what they would say, that you're you're kind, aren't you? You know, you're, that's the appeal, isn't it, that you're kind to people and you're interested in them. So she obviously had quite an effect on you. Oh, very much so, very much so, and probably doesn't... I hope she knows. I do hope she knows. I, I really do. I mean, we, we sort of exchange Christmas cards um, and she's 
Yeah, she just, uh, I just think her kids must be just so lucky. But yeah, there are just people and it's it's amazing. I mean, I always think that about teachers. They're so underrated. And I think, I just think we feel when, you know, when they have to homeschool, they suddenly went, oh my God, teachers are amazing. Oh, they're fabulous. Oh, we've underrated them. (laughs) When I tried to teach my children to read, even long before I had to bloody homeschool them, uh, I remember being like, right, we've just read this word nine times. How is it that you don't know it? And I lost my rag on page two of a book which had one word on each page. And then I just thought, my God, teachers are amazing. How do they do it? I don't, I don't know. I don't know. And especially when they're, you know, especially in areas where it is really, really challenging and it's hard and, you know, it's difficult to have discipline and at the same time encourage kids. But what a difference a great teacher can make. It can make all the difference in the world. And that has a ripple effect, doesn't it? Because you change one child's life and then they go on to change other lives, hopefully. So it's a brilliant job to I just don't think that we appreciate them no we don't and lots of them are leaving the profession because it's just too hard and my teachers in my constituency they're social workers they are they're housing officers now they're mental health workers they have to do I mean sometimes they're housing the families in the halls and feeding them from the canteen and like you know this is like describing like slums that should be cleared in 1960s Glasgow that is the situation in yeah it's like it's uh, even it's uh, that 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 that's terrible isn't it awful and what I always think is really sad especially when you talk about like social workers and all that you only ever hear about the things that go wrong you only ever hear about that and then every single day they're working their arses off make things better and you never hear about oh that wee kid oh my god that wee kid was taken out of that house and put somebody else and is doing really well or we sorted out the parents and we managed to get them you know to realize that this is out, yeah and kept the family together and it was and it's and okay they're still maybe not doing brilliantly but they're doing all right we never hear about that we just hear about terrible shocking stories terrible stories about that I mean that unfortunately is that's the news cycle isn't it good news is hard to come by I know, and that's why we try, you know, we always try to try and put a positive spin on things. There are certain things that you can't, there are certain things that you absolutely can't, but we, we always try and say, well, at least people are, you know, at least people are having a go and at least people are trying. I have to say, you manage it, Lorraine. You're, it always is about sort of positivity. Aside from the one time, I'm going to say, the best moment of Lorraine Kelly history was when you were talking to Esther McVeigh, one of my <laughs> colleagues. <laughs> It's literally, it's one of those ones, like, you know, when Alison Hammond falls in the water or Gino loses it, like one of those videos that you watch all the time. It's one of those videos that I watch all the time. <laughs> is you talking to Esther McVeigh, oh. how you used to work with her. It's like, I. It's one of those, wasn't it? Oh, really? She's just so annoying. And, and I can't, I've got, I've got to this stage in my life as well that I just think, oh, it was like they had, do you remember they had that? Awful women on who ugh, slept with Boris Johnson. Yuck, oh, yuck. Yeah, that's oh, another no, no, no. classic. Oh right. my God. And she, but she came on and she never said anything. She sat there all coy, you know, and Piers and Sally were asking, of course, all the right questions, but she never said anything. And I just went into one and I just said, what's the point of you coming on here? <laughs> what is the point other than to extend a story? Like, you know, have a story to tell that people might not like. Oh, and just or go away, just go away, you silly women. And I think, I don't do it very often because it takes an awful lot to get me annoyed. But when I do... <laughs> 
I do. <laughs> the nation is ready for one of those every five years, I'm saying the road. Yeah, well, one every five years. And then as you get older, you can ramp it up. You know, like that brilliant poem about, like, when I'm old, I'm going to wear purple. Yeah, like that. Like, you can essentially become eccentric and no one will care. You can become Granny Mac. I'm going to become Granny Mac without, without so many whoppers. Although, hey, maybe. <laughs> because I'm going, oh, in that time I spoke to Harrison Ford and like, yeah, no, you never. <laughs> <laughs> you, it would actually be true in your <laughs> And all the people, the old people saw me be going, oh, she's a wee again. <laughs> I don't remember that time she played tennis with Will Smith and no, I don't think she did. <laughs> oh my God, that is brilliant. Who is the best person you've ever met, Lorraine? I'm just going to finish on this question. Oh my gosh. That's so, do you know, for me, because I'm a geek, I'm a real space geek, I think it has to be Buzz Aldrin, the second man on the moon. I was like, it was the worst interview I've ever done because I just went, oh, you're Buzz Aldrin, oh, you've been on the moon, oh my God, oh my God. So it was really rubbish. Um, but yeah, and I'm quite, in a way, I'm quite glad I never met David Bowie because I wouldn't have been able to speak. I would have just, I would, I would have just been standing there, with, you know, my chin on the carpet, just thinking, "Oh my God, you're David Bowie," and you'd be like, "I know," <laughs> and that would have been the end of that. But yeah, but but also that was very special because I just kept going, "You're on the moon, oh my God, those wee feet you're on the moon." I've got no concept of how you could cope with even thinking that somebody had been on the moon. Do you know what I mean? Like, I can't even form a question because it's to without the realm it's like Greece for you when you were four yes <laughs> it's like how Greece felt to you well that is how the moon feels to me I'm no, like, it's, I can't. oh it's just great a bit I always remember him saying and, and, and a lot of people said it including Brian Cox and um, Brian Cox the astronomer not the fantastic actor in succession who is a legend uh, they both are but he said you know take every leader up in a spaceship and let them see the earth, the fragile wee earth with no borders and no, you can't see anything like that. You can just see this wee ball of gorgeousness, which is so fragile and we've got to hang on to it and we've got to make sure that it's going to be all right. And maybe they would change their mind because every astronaut I've ever had the pleasure of talking to has always said it changes you utterly, changes everything. Some can't handle it. Some just can't handle it. It's too, it's too much. But mostly they go, oh, wow, we have to make the world safer. It's really interesting. Yeah, well, I, I will suggest that at PMQs that we start the changes, mission. But we'd be begging back. <laughs> Bye, Nancy. <laughs> <laughs> so how would you sign up your letter to Miss Spears? And you obviously write cards to her. Oh, Miss Spears, I just would say thank you for teaching me how to be kind, how to be better, and how it's that thing do as you would be done by, which is a really old-fashioned saying. But if everybody did, goodness me, we would be in a better place, wouldn't we? So I think that's what I would say to her, and just a big thank you. Oh, lovely. Do you think she knows how much you mean to her? I hope so. I think I think so. I mean, I have told her. She must be very proud of you. I don't well. I, I guess I, I suppose it must be strange, you know, when you're a teacher and you see people like say achieving amazing things, like winning a Nobel Prize. I mean, you know, I basically talk about what frock somebody was wearing the other night. So maybe she's not. Um, people always do this, and I find sometimes that it is my presence that makes people do this. I'm going to tell you off, Lorraine Kelly, for doing this, because people will be like, oh, you know, I don't do anything much, really. I mean, you're out there changing the world, although I haven't won a Nobel Prize yet, yet. But there's still plenty of time. But it really matters that people have 
things to watch and things to make their lives feel full and better and happy. And it, that matters so much more than the idea that it's just fluff. It matters. Yeah. And we try to do other stuff as well. I mean, we do try, but, but then I think all human life is there and you have to have fun as well. You know, you can tackle um, difficult things, but you have fun too. Having fun is the most important thing in the whole world. People in my constituency who are going through dreadful things or the women I've met who've been through the most appalling things, they, you know, they want relief in their lives. So it's like people say to me, do you watch that um, brilliant documentary about domestic abuse? I'm like, no, I was watching The Bake Off because I need to not have that in my life all the time. So I think that the nation is grateful to (laughs) for being the nation's auntie so i think miss spears is probably very very (laughs) proud of you and we should refer to you as auntie lorraine because you know from working class backgrounds if you don't say the word auntie in front of somebody's name that basically is the greatest sign of disrespect that's very true that's very true i think tons of aunties Tons of aunties, but they're not my mum's sister and my dad's sister. They're just my aunties. Yeah, they're just like the bloke who borrowed your dad's ladders in 1974. So now you've got to call him Uncle Derek. <laughs> it's true. It's so true. It's fabulous. I love it. <laughs> it's a lovely thing. In South Asian backgrounds, any woman who is older than them, they refer to you as auntie. So my son's mates will come round from school and they, they don't say auntie just, they just say, oh, oh, hello, auntie. It makes me feel 100 years old. <laughs> I'm like that. I know, but it's still really sweet. It is they very do, sweet. They do that, don't they? Because like, if there's an old man somewhere, they go, oh, that be uncle. Called, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's that be uncle. It's a bit like in Ireland, everybody's your ma'am. Yes. Your ma'am. Your mom. <laughs> yeah. I love that as well. Well, Lorraine Kelly, unsurprisingly, after what has been quite a difficult day for me at work, uh, for various reasons, because things that can often be a bit tough, Speaking to you has been like eating hot cinnamon toast and it's been a total pleasure and that is not a surprise. So thank you so much for coming and talking to me. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Yours Sincerely with Jess Phillips. If you want to hear more conversations just like this, make sure you follow Yours Sincerely with Jess Phillips on the podcast provider of your choice. And why not write a letter to your friends? telling them all about this podcast. And you can also follow us on social media. We're at Jess Phillips Pod. Goodbye. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag? Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. 
quince.com slash style. 